Yeah. The key thing is, don't be inhaling, don't be ingesting. Stay inside, don't drink or eat anything. These Liquor. are important questions. I understand that. Highest moment the last eight years. Hmm. Highest moment the last eight years. Well, I think that the most important, the most compelling was, uh, was 9-11 itself. Welcome to Truth Jihad Radio, the ultra-controversial radio show broadcasting Hello. from a, an old ice cream trailer in the woods of western Wisconsin and talking oh. about all of the issues that you're never supposed to talk about in polite company. Today, I'm going to try to push the outrage one more step and, and really get everybody mad at me, or as many people as possible anyway. In the second hour... And have a bit of a debate on the COVID origins theories. The two most popular ones, I guess, the most popular one is probably the one that my guest Thomas Wilcutts will be defending, which is that COVID-19 is a bankster biowar attack on humanity designed to corral us into a new world order under the Great Reset with uh, ultra high technology and so on and so forth. And the uh, the opposing theory, which I actually tend to agree with more, is the Ron Un's version that COVID was probably unleashed by a neocon biowar attack on China and Iran. And the blowback, well, I, I'm on the fence about whether or not they foresaw the blowback or not. Ron thinks they didn't. Uh, he thinks the neocons are so incompetent that they uh, hit Wuhan and calm with COVID and didn't realize that it was going to blow back and blow up their own countries. So that will be the debate in the second hour. First hour, Eric Wahlberg is on with me to, should we say, celebrate America's defeat in Afghanistan? I don't know. If we say that, not only will they ban Eric from coming to America, which they've already done. He tried to cross the border. They won't let him into the United States. But they'll probably throw me across the border out of the United States, which at this point might actually be doing me a favor. But anyway, yeah, you know, when an oppressor, an aggressor, an evil empire invades a country uh, that it has no business invading under false pretenses and murders huge numbers of people through the most abjectly cowardly means imaginable, like drone warriors playing video games, blowing up wedding parties. It's so disgusting. All you can do when the evil empire is beaten and the people of the invaded country have triumphed is stand up and cheer. Allahu Akbar! That's my opinion. And what do you think? Eric Wahlberg, how are you doing? <laughs> Hi. Hi, Kevin. Yes, Mabruk. <laughs> yeah, Mabruk, Allahu Akbar, Takfir. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, but, yeah, seriously, though, uh, you know, I mean, how can people not be celebrating this? Uh, the, uh, I was listening to Mike, uh, Michael Moore's uh, podcast uh, just yesterday, I think, and he says it's a miracle that what's happening, and he said the, the Taliban have been helpful. They're really... Uh, turned into a, a real secure force because the national police and every all the others just disappeared into the woodwork. So the Taliban were left in a vacuum and they've actually been working with their uh, sworn enemies. I mean, how noble that is so Muslim, that's so Pashtun that, uh, you know, you're a, now the Americans have turned into unwanted guests. I mean, they've admitted that. So well, uh, the whole Pashtun ethic is: if you have a guest, you don't uh, 
uh, like Bin Laden, you don't kick him out. You uh, uh, protect your guests. So yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Muslims could be the most hospitable people in the world if you're a guest, but if you're an invader, it's uh, quite the opposite. I know it's uh, it's biblical what we're going through. I I feel like I to get on a pulpit and start preaching Old Testament uh, fire <laughs> and doom. It's funny so you say you that. To... Yeah, you, you did actually. You you quoted uh, which was it the the Book of Daniel was it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us about that. We we could start at the end. <laughs> That's a nice kind of uh, dialectical. Uh, uh, inversion. I, I end up the whole thing uh, after going through about the uh, Soviet Union comparing its anti-empire with America's empire, and it's the game. Uh, who do you think won? Do you remember who won? Uh, um, Kevin? In, I'm sorry, An- what game? An- empire versus anti-empire. I, oh. I worked it out to a competition. America, uh, it uh, it's em- empires finished now, and the uh, Soviet Empire died on 1988-1989 as the troops came out of Afghanistan. The same same exit. It's it's totally. But anyway, uh, going through all that, then I say this is uh, from the Book of Daniel. Belshazzar holds the great feast and drinks from the vessels that were looted from the destruction of the first temple. A hand appears and writes in the wall. The terrified Balshazar calls to his wise men. They are unable to read. The queen advises him to send for Daniel, renowned for his wisdom. Daniel reminds Balshazar that his father, Nebuchadnezzar, anyway, goes on, and uh, the writing is, uh, he has been found wanted and his kingdom will fall to the Persians. So who are the Persians? Well, who are the Dari-speaking Afghans? It was actually part of Persia at one point, up until the 18th century. It was part of the Persian Empire. Right. Oh, yeah. And that that's the uh, Khorasan region. Speaking of which, uh, you know, it's funny, we're, we both preached sermons. You're bringing in the book of Daniel. And I, uh, start, I did my khutbah today, uh, citing the uh-huh. uh, Surah Al-Nasr, which is the surah from the Quran that the Taliban recited when they entered the presidential palace in Kabul. And what was the surah? Tell me. It's a, a surah to Nasser, and it, it's the one that goes, That is, if, uh, if God's help and victory comes, and you see huge crowds of people entering Islam, uh, then uh, glorify God and, and uh, ask for his forgiveness, for uh, verily he is the oft-forgiving. Um, so anyway, that's, that's, that's the surah that, you know, the, the kind of surah. I'll of, have of to memorize that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 I'll, I'll add that to my, uh, uh, prayers. I can start using that surah as well. Oh, wonderful. So that's, uh, which you don't know the number. I'll find it. now. I think it's 110, I believe uh-huh. it's, it's Great. very close to the end. Of course, it's one of those short uh-huh. surahs, but yeah, that, that the uh, YouTube of the uh, Taliban, reciting that surah in the presidential palace after they had almost a bloodless mm-hmm. victory mm-hmm. is quite uh, amazing. And, and of course, that, that surah sort of harks back to the nearly bloodless conquest of Mecca as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And right. the parallels there, I think, are 
are kind of interesting and reverberating through the Muslim world. And as you say, the Taliban seems to be reaching out to try to build a, a more broader based coalition, you know, rather than just mm -hmm. the kind of hardcore uh, religious uh -huh. students from that particular corner of the Pashtun world. They seem to mm -hmm. realize now that they need uh, to bring other people into their coalition. And, you know, I, I wonder if this ISIS-K thing with uh, this terrorist group blowing people up at the airport. Yeah, stuff, winter, you know, yeah, what's yeah. I, I wonder if, if you know, obviously that's false oh. flag one way or another. They're, they're trying to smear the Taliban well, uh, with this. And it's, yeah, I think it's I, I think it's I don't think you have to see the CIA. I, I, I doubt that in this present situation, the CIA has some kind of conspiracy to blow up. Well, maybe. But I think it was just straightforward. ISIS, they're a nasty group, and this is the Khorasan. They, uh, they've, uh, you know, that China, that's such a mess there with the Uyghurs, and uh, so they're really hot. And boy, this is really—it's heated up the whole cauldron. This poor, like I, I'm just thinking, what about Uzbekistan? That horrible regime there—that's so anti-Muslim, you know. And but at the same time, they have the uh, the terrorists. The uh, Islamic, uh, whatever they in uh, Islamic, uh, I don't know what the acronym is, but I, you know, I think you know they're they're notorious in Syria among the jihadists, and so are the uh, um, Uyghur. So, uh, and what this is going to do? How China? Taliban says we're going to work with China, right? Hmm, I wonder. Uh, and there are a lot of Uyghur in uh, Afghanistan. And China's going to say, give us up these terrorists. It's just, I, I can't even, um, there's so many uh, questions that are, uh, that are jumping out of this uh, transformation. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to keep ahead of it. Well, if, you, if you think about I, ISIS, um, versus the Taliban here. So I, ISIS is obviously opposed to the Taliban and has been actually the, the U.S. was to some extent cooperating with the Taliban against ISIS, supposedly. Mm -hmm. But as right. you said, ISIS, yeah. ISIS is tied in to the, the Uyghurs, among other groups. And yeah, that's and the CIA is supporting ISIS, the ISIS Uyghurs. And so I, I see. I always thought, Eric, and I know that you, well, you, know, you never go. You don't go quite as far as I do on some of these yeah. uh, false flag mm -hmm. theories. But it seems to me that uh, Sheikh Imran Hussein is right when he says that ISIS didn't just appear out of nowhere and have, you know, thousands of Toyota Land Cruisers just drop from mm -hmm. the sky. That, you know, that, that Santa Claus obviously was behind arming and funding and creating where, ISIS. Where? And we know uh, Dr. Baghdadi was, he created ISIS in U.S. captivity. And the Americans lied and said they only had him for a year when they really had him for four years. And during those four years, they could have used whatever yeah. techniques they need uh -huh. to get that group going and point it in the direction they want it to go. So I, I think it's a false flag group. And the, and the black flag is designed to smear the uh, prophecy about the black flags of Khorasan liberating Jerusalem al-Quds. You know, the, the oh. is prophecy from, from uh, the Hadith really? says, yeah, it says that Jerusalem al-Quds will be by, by the black okay. flags coming out of Khorasan. So Khorasan is is Western Iran and parts of Afghanistan and some of the other stands. And that region went to, it went Muslim in 1979 with both the Islamic Revolution in Iran and what happened to the Soviets in Afghanistan. And so now mm -hmm. if the Muslims of Khorasan can get together, the prophecy says they're going to liberate Jerusalem al-Quds. Now, the Zionists and the Americans obviously don't like that. So they created mm -hmm. ISIS with its black flag. Uh, and got them to behead people and do all sorts of insane things 
uh, to basically wage psychological warfare against Islam in general and the effort to uh, liberate Jerusalem Al-Quds in particular. Good. So you're, I, I, I'd like to get all, are you going to put that in an article? or, or well, just, uh, I, I'd love to see it. So that's Hodasan, you're saying that originally there was a good group that, uh, or, or that it wasn't corrupted by ISIS moved in and corrupted it and made it look awful. No, well, no, no. I'm just, I was saying that there, there's a hadith, you know, a prophetic uh, a hadith. statement. Okay, so that's the prophet. The, the, this is a hadith. So it's yes, like the prophet Muhammad, peace Muhammad upon him, yeah, yeah. predicted the liberation of Jerusalem al-Quds by a Muslim group coming out of Horasan, waving black flags. Is this, uh, which uh, collection? Is this uh, uh, Bukhari? Or you know, I wish I, I wish I were one of those scholars who's memorized all the hadith, but I, <laughs> I forget which collection. But I'm pretty uh, sure it's... We should, it's very well okay, known. So if I just Google Hadith uh, Khorasan yeah, uh, uh, and uh, liberation of uh, Al-Quds? Yeah, yeah, you'll find it quickly. It's very well known. Oh, great. Least okay, among because... Pe- yeah, it's, the, it's one of the most famous... We're fading out a little bit here. Okay, he's one of the most famous. The Khorasan... That's in Iran and Afghanistan and uh, where else? Well, uh, maybe a little bit of like Tajikistan and stuff. Uh, and Turkey as well. In Turkey. Turkey. Yeah, because yeah. that's the Azerbaijan part as well. Uh, right. I think that's all. That's the Tur- Turkestan uh, is Azerbaijan, which is both uh, Afghanistan and and uh, uh, no. Uh, it, yeah, it, maybe it Uzbekistan too. I, th- I think uh, uh, Bukhara and Samara. Yeah, they're uh, Persian. Yeah, the yeah. Persians. Every in fact, uh, Afghanistan was a part of the Persian Empire before Durrani. Is it Durrani, the uh, the uh, Emir, the first Emir of Afghanistan in the 18th century? That he broke away basically from. Uh, you know that part of the history that uh, he was uh, he, he was sent by the uh, per, per, the. Person, I don't know if it was in, uh, Isfahan, probably that uh, to go to Afghanistan. And he went there, and he he just set up his own kingdom and, and separate from the because the Persian Empire was kind of decaying at that point. You know that, so it's fascinating that they have very strong cultural roots that are, uh, you know, in the language uh, they should be really one. They're like it should be almost a big federation of. That's what you're talking about. That wouldn't that be wonderful? That's and of course, the Turkestan, China will never give up their. Uh, but you know, I was thinking uh, all these uh, artificial borders where they are split. In a way, that's also uh, in the Quran uh, that uh, we make people different so that they'd have to learn to get along with each other. You know, right. you know what I'm talking about. It's not a hadith. That's right in the Quran. Yeah, no, yeah, the Quran that's tells us that there are, two, there are two reasons why God created us in different tribes and peoples, and uh, one of them is to get to know each other and cooperate, and the other is to compete in goodness. That is to try uh-huh. see who can do the most good works. Okay, so both. Oh, good. Thank you. Uh, but but you need both uh, cooperation and and uh, uh, just uh, competing and in the goodness. competition. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's part of it. That's great. So it's all all there. Yeah. And I think the competing in goodness is actually really profound because the thing is, when you compete with somebody, the tendency is to get into a rivalry and then to start doing more and more, you know, devious and underhanded methods. Uh, And then pretty soon you're competing in badness. You know, each each side in the rivalry Uh is doing the, the most devious things they can to try to win. And so if you uh-huh. if you reframe that and say, no, the, the actual purpose is of com- competition is to compete in goodness, 
then you kind of cut off that process by which uh, rivalry leads to really bad behavior on both sides. So I, I think that's a very you know profound insight, like so many other things in the Quran. Well, you actually bring them together because you're competing in your cooperation or you're cooperating in your competing. Yeah, well, actually, you know, I don't think the word is, it's not, yeah, what you would, you wouldn't translate anything as cooperating. I think that the Quranic, the other Quranic passage there, there's the one that says that we created you and different peoples to, so you would uh, commit, compete get in to goodness. Know each other, yeah. Then there's a separate, separate uh-huh. one that talks about, so you could get to know one another. That's two different uh, quotations. Yeah, they're right. two separate they're ones. Two yeah. Right. Great. Uh-huh. So but you put them together I'm, and it makes good sense. Uh, but w- w- I, I, we still haven't seen how they're going to expand it. I mean, I mean, Abdullah, Abdullah, and Karzai are working with them, aren't they? They went to Qatar and they're trying to work on establishing a uh, post-revolutionary. Uh, it's a revolution, right? We can talk about it as uh, it's not just a coup or anything. The the uh, Afghan revolution. This is really the the first, no. The, okay, this would be the second one because if they did. You could, I don't know, the mess in the 90s, was that a revolution? There were uh, more, I guess, the first Taliban reign was a, revo- was, uh, um, a revolutionary government. Anyway, um, yeah, it's fascinating. It's, they've, they've got to have people that know the ropes of international finance. And I don't know how much is being stolen. I guess a lot. They'll probably start with nothing. So uh, I guess they're going to be, it's it's like Venezuela or Cuba, but uh, 10 times worse. It's basically, you know, uh, the U.S. has them by the, the uh, balls and they're going to squeeze hard. So I don't, that's the, uh, that's what they talk, that's the language so far. What uh, Europe's saying, you've got to let girls stay in school until they're 18. Well, I mean, what does that mean when, uh, you know, you're living, you've got villages. Most of the country doesn't even have electricity. You know, uh, how can, I mean, they make these outrageous European demands and say, or else we'll cut off all eight. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. That's going to really convince them. The propaganda has been so over the top. Um, it's, it, of course, it's true. The Taliban definitely did some uh, unsavory things and made mistakes and so on, especially in the nineties. But, but the, the thing is that, you know, just the, the, the way they've been demonized in the Western propaganda uh, is, mm-hmm. is it's, it's really shocking that left liberal peacenik types have fallen for it. And, and the uh, yeah. defend the women by going and murdering men and women in Afghanistan thing seems to have been very popular among the, the lefty peaceniks. Or at least a well, it's, it's the me, it's the me too thing again. Gone to uh, ten times its extreme of uh, you know dredging up past uh, crimes and saying, "Look, you you did this then, so now we're accusing you, and uh, we're going to whatever uh, take you to court." I don't know. They better be careful who they take to court over uh, uh, war crimes in Afghanistan. Well, I, I would like to see the Taliban take the U.S. to court over 9/11. Yeah. You know, they and I, I wrote uh-huh. a piece two right. two weeks ago. Or two weeks ago, I wrote I wrote a piece uh-huh. urging the Taliban to uh-huh. uh, to to stand strong on 9/11 and demand a an international tribunal on the controlled demolition of the World Trade Center. Now, so far they yeah, haven't gone that far, but they have they repeated have, their statement that, that yeah. Al Qaeda had nothing to do with 9/11. They have no there's no evidence. That okay. They did. 
that's what I think they should make that kind of announcement that uh, uh, Al-Qaeda has nothing to do with 9-11. We demand that the U.S. allow an independent U.N.-sponsored or whatever investigation into the origin. I mean, that should be the way it's phrased. They shouldn't say, we know you did it or we know Israel did it. I mean, that that would just undermine everything. They've got right, to but, they, but they could neutral. say we, we, would, we would like to see like, uh, uh, yeah, an inherent controlled demolition of the World Trade Center. That's what they should say, because that's, that's well, a slam-proof case. There's no way that they could lose yeah. that. Okay, well, okay. If they do, that's great. I, I, you know, at this point, I think Allah is really guiding uh, a lot of what's going on. I can't, I mean, it's a miracle. It really is. Mike Moore is right. And uh, that's coming, and he's he's a U.S., uh, you know, big, uh, he's not one of us, really. He's a little bit dancing uh, with his friends. But, uh, yeah, he's, uh, was, you know, when I tried to say something nice about them with my, in my Zoom, with my family Zoom, they, I, the sisters just started yelling at me, oh, uh, Hitler. And I say, well, as soon as you bring Hitler in, I think that kind of uh, defeats the purpose of any. So you I, lost the I, argument. You were the first one to, to raise uh, raise Hitler. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm not going to these family Zooms anymore. It's too, it's too painful. You, you, because you, you're you right. Paint, the, you could paint a little mustache on before your next Zoom. <laughs> Oh no, I I don't have that kind of relationship with them. It's a bit more, it's a bit more hate than love, I think. Yeah, I, I, I had a family member get very angry at me and threaten to throw me out of his house when I uh, said I supported the Taliban in their effort to liberate Afghanistan <laughs> invaders. <laughs> For you, I mean, you're, you're talking about Mecca. Well, I, I that's I wrote three three years ago in 2017. I just looked it up. And I posted it again at Facebook. I wrote this, and it, it, the title is "Why the Taliban Will Win." That, that's, I mean, it's a really crude title, but I thought, you know, and it was a review of uh, Zahid. Zahid, do you know this wonderful? Uh, uh, he, he he's one of the leaders, and he's right from the start, and, and it's his memoirs. And I've, I've got. If you need it, I'll, I'll I can send you Z A E E D. And he uh, was, of course, captured and uh, sent to Guantamo. He was there, I think, six years. And finally, I think he was traded by that wonderful exchange that, I mean, Obama has done a few good things. And this is one thing. When he exchanged Bergadal for uh, five top Taliban leaders, do you remember that? That was in 2012, I think. Mm-hmm. After maybe maybe that was just after the Bin Laden thing too. I don't know how they orchestrate these things, but he did get that through, and all the Republicans were furious after that. They said you you sold all these top Taliban leaders to this this traitor, you know Bergdahl, isn't that yeah? Isn't that how you pronounce it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Bo- yeah, yeah. Bowie Bergdahl. Ber- yeah. What a fabulous yeah. guy! I mean, he's a yeah, hero. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, he's, he's, a, he's a, hero. a hero. Yeah. Yeah. He defected. He went over there. They, they painted, or maybe he even, maybe he was uh, encouraged to paint his own, uh, because he went over there with the idea of defecting to the Taliban, and it held up for over two years. They couldn't do almost anything in the field, because I don't know why they, uh, the U.S. Army sometimes does nice things for its own soldiers, but they didn't want to harm him while he was in captivity. So, and the soldiers loved it because uh, they didn't have to do any uh, patrolling. They could just sit in the barracks and play 
what, what are the games uh, young people play now on their computers? That's what all they wanted to do. So that's, that was a nice, and it just slowed the whole tempo of the war. And it just, he was one of the people that uh, aided the tel- Taliban, gave them that boost too. Here's a guy defecting to us. And oh, and he should, he should go back there. They said, put up a statue. <laughs> that, that might be a bit provocative. Uh, Bear, uh, Bear might get assassinated back in the States if they did something like that. Yeah, oh, he, he's, he's one of those. He's one of those captives of the Taliban that uh, mm. sort of played out differently from maybe how the Western PR people would have appreciated it. Like also Yvonne Ridley is another one. You know, she snuck into Afghanistan. I love her. Oh, yeah. yeah invasion. The Taliban well, captured her and then they ended up releasing her. And she was very well treated while she was in captivity. Yeah. And, she, and then yeah. after she got out, she discovered the Americans had been trying to get her killed so they could blame her death on the Taliban. So uh, she ended up converting <laughs> to Islam. <laughs> I know. I love her writing too. It's so warm and Sunday. I wanted to ask you. Uh, you call that the syndrome, the the uh, Copenhagen, no, the the um, Stockholm syndrome. Stockholm, <laughs> the Stockholm syndrome. That also. I mean, but I can understand that. If if I were kidnapped by people like that, I would convert. You know, even if I wasn't Muslim. You know, if I wasn't Muslim, I would. Wait, wait, wait I'm a minute, sure. Eric. If, if if you were kidnapped by by crazy uh, pagans, yeah. would you convert to paganism? Um, it's too late. I, I've already done my conversion, so I'm not even trying to speculate. <laughs> I, I'm not trying but, to get you in trouble or anything, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe in my pre-Islam days, I, I I might have. I I like to think that if I if I were kidnapped, I would uh, just keep doing what I do. You know, just like I'm constantly being pressured all the time anyway, uh-huh. and I I, don't, I try uh-huh. not to give into pressure. I just try to That's be true, true to myself. And I think I would try we're to do that even the system has kidnapped us. We're part of the matrix. It's, yeah. Uh, I mean, there are these signal films that really uh, just say it as it is. Uh, it's great. that. Uh, I, and I was watching another one, Av- uh, Avatar. I was watching that. Do you remember that film? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That Avatar was one of those uh, kind of anti-war allegories that was, it was hugely yeah. popular. But I think a lot of the audience didn't realize that they were looking at an allegory for what we were doing in Afghanistan. Because if they watched Avatar and then they didn't <laughs> hear from the Taliban, they're completely insane. I know. So it shows how really I, I have this a vision of the good use of media and, and uh, films. I mean, there are wonderful films like that and you see through them. And you know what they're saying, and ninety uh, percent of the people don't. So, but you know, ninety percent of the I was with my friend, uh, my political friend today, and and I was saying, Richard, uh, there are so few people. <laughs> you know, I've seen any of your nephews or nieces. I was thinking about my own family in these zooms and how how totally uh, uh, I'm just a complete. I'm a, se- uh, a separate race from these people. You know, I, I mean, I have nothing really to share or that I can communicate with beyond pleasantries. And I, I don't want, anyway, and he said, no, none of them are interested in politics. And I was thinking, no, none of mine are, well, there's some that are kind of green, but nothing, and no one is really spiritual as far as I can tell. And I don't know. The well, same well, you know, that, getting back to, to Avatar, the, uh, the thing about Avatar, I think is, is that it was, it was about Afghanistan and to some extent Iraq but it was set, you know, it's it's like a dream disguise. And, you know, I, I don't uh-huh. I don't fully agree with everything that Sigmund Freud wrote or I don't agree with his framework uh, in certain respects. And I think he he only got a part of the story right. 
um, as did Jung. And I've, I've had this argument with various people or people who hate me because I think Freud is anything you know better than a complete devil and an, and an idiot who is wrong about everything. No, I think Freud got certain things right. And one thing he got right in his dream interpretation book was that uh-huh. there, there are these certain kinds of almost mathematical substitutions and so on that happen in dreams. And if you figure out how that dream language works, you can interpret your dreams and other people's dreams. And I've actually earned a bit of a reputation with a, a fair, with various people who they bring me their dreams and I interpret them. Oh, and wow. they're always amazed at how I can do it. Well, it's not that hard sometimes because, like, for instance, it, quite often – you get the exact, you know, you get opposites. As Freud noted in a dream, uh-huh, something uh-huh. will be a complete yeah. opposite of what it really stands for. So it, with Avatar, you had this lush jungle outer space planet being, uh-huh. you know, Afghanistan. Uh-huh. Or Iraq. So uh-huh, it's not uh-huh. a desert. It's the opposite of a desert. It's a super right, lush right. jungle. Um, uh-huh. Sort of like Vietnam was, so you should still be able to get that. But anyway, it's 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 uh, like the jungle, though. It's it's the purity of Eden as well. The it's the Garden of Eden that they right. were living in, in right. total and harmony with nature. It, right, and and the indigenous culture on this planet, and this planet's being invaded and exploited by the United States. It, it, it is an allegory for the U.S. invasions of Iraq and Afghanistan, and so this form, this planet, Oil. right, this, this jungle planet, which stands for these Muslim cultures that are being invaded and exploited and murdered. Uh, that that planet is is super spiritual. The indigenous people are spiritual and they're connected to this world tree. Well, that of course is an allegory for Islamic spirituality. And yeah, but they, yeah. they had to change it, you know, to to make it well. Number one, uh-huh. you can't if, if they did it, you know, straightforwardly and had a desert planet that was obviously an allegory for Iraq and Afghanistan and, and Muslim countries in general. It would have been too obvious, and it wouldn't have worked. I know so, it wouldn't be. You need some beauty too uh, if right. you want people to watch something for it's three hours. I didn't even get to right, the so end. You put, it, I, you put I, it in dream disguise, and so if you a lot of movies are like dreams in this respect. Yeah. That the filmmakers find a way to disguise reality using the same kind of language. Or for instance, you know, opposites, uh, stand, you know, something standing for its ex- but, exact opposite. Yeah. yeah. But you didn't even need to, uh, you don't need to uh, think in allegory terms. Uh, the, the dirty capitalist pig was, uh, he just looked like the devil incarnate. And he was saying, yeah, we're going to wipe out all these natives. Who cares? We want all we wanted to get their stuff. So you follow them, you find out. How can we subvert their culture? I mean, it was, it, there was nothing allegorical or hidden about that. I, I felt like yeah, I was being subtle. hit in the head. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't, it wasn't at all subtle. I thought, oh, wow, this is great. But I hope, you know, I hope we don't don't uh, send it into a parody. of. Well, you don't have to be that subtle to to, to make it uh, a little too subtle for average Americans to understand. Yeah. <laughs> no, but there are these wonderful films that uh, say it all and you know, and 40 years, uh, all of the, uh, what's his name, the Dr. Strangelove, that director, all of those films were brilliant. Or There's just, there's a whole, I've already watched a whole, uh, in my lifetime, you know, a whole uh, um, uh, library of fabulous films. And But uh, it doesn't change much. I don't know. I just look at what's happened and. The U.S. is in like like terminal decline, and it, it got it brain dead. It's just going into worse and worse. With uh, I don't know. Every day, the news from you is is uh, more and more alarming. Right yeah, I, I agree. It does seem like there's a chance that the U.S. will follow the Soviet Union into the graveyard of empires, as you yeah. suggest in your article. Yeah. 
Although how, how that works, I don't know. The Soviet Union collapsed and, and ended. There's no Very more Soviet true. Union today. So will the United States collapse and end? Will there be no, no more United well, States in a few years? But you see, I, I'll get back to my Marxist hobby horse. The Soviet Union was not an empire. It was not imperial in the sense of using uh, exploitation of other nations to gain their surplus value either by invading them and but you build your railways. That's the British style and the old style is, you know, you build your railways, take all their lumber and all their raw materials, and uh, you give them trinkets and leave them in, in poverty. So that's... Yeah, yeah. So, Eric, uh, you, you know more about Hold this. Hold on, let me finish. Let me finish. That's the imperialist uh, tradition. But uh, the Soviet Union, right from the start, it was exporting surplus value. You can, I, I took this in my economics, my right wing, uh, you know, uh, University of Toronto economist professor. Yeah, he said it was exporting. It was not doing what, uh, uh, of course, they didn't even use the word imperialism in, in, uh, in the mainstream uh, course. But what, what normally, <laughs> you know, the, it was actually all the Eastern Europe, you know, that thumbs its nose and despises the, uh, Russia. So you, all during that 30 years, was that how long were they together? Yeah, about 30 something, about 30 years. Uh, it was exporting oil at a much subsidized uh, rate to all of Eastern Europe and other things, too. So it was uh, there was a, a net outflow of, of surplus value. So you see, that's why when Gorbachev comes along, it was a benign system, except for Stalin's madness. It was benign. It was not exploitative. All of Uzbekistan, all of the Turkish, Turkish country, uh, Turkic countries uh, uh, or nations within Soviet Union, they all wanted to stay. It was 95% that wanted to stay because they benefited. Look at uh, Afghanistan, it was becoming Soviet. It wasn't even just in the 70s, right from world, right from 1920s. Uh, Afghanistan was the first country to recognize the Soviet Union. And uh, it was always supporting. Uh, here's another great book you should read. Is uh, uh, I'm reading now, Fitzroy McLean. It's Eastern Approaches. Have you heard of that? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, write it down, please. He wrote it. He was the consul. He's the uh, James Bond. He's the one that people say, oh, yes, uh, Fitzroy McLean, he was with uh, with uh, um, Tito in, in Yugoslavia. But first he was in um, uh, uh, Soviet Union in Moscow in 37 to 39. Can you imagine all through the horrible trials, all, all of that stuff he witnessed firsthand? And he also slipped away and he wanted to go to, to uh, um, Uzbekistan. He wanted to go to uh, Samarkand, to uh uh, Bukhara and uh, uh, and in Almaty, he went all through there in the 30, late 30s, and he did it on his own. And he just slipped past the NKVD, and then he just uh, you know British how they can they're pompous and they can just you know they ruled the world, so uh, they did it very elegantly. And all of these, even the NKVD bowed to him and helped him get across the border into Afghanistan. He went all the way to Kabul from Moscow in 1939. Wow. Fascinating, and he's a brilliant writer too. That sounds interesting. So, yes, uh, but, but getting I back to the I got topic, off on that. Uh, well, you were talking uh, about empire versus empire. So yeah, yeah, could, yeah. So, so in your piece, you say fall. that the Soviet Union was an anti-empire, and so you're explaining what you mean by that. Yes, and so now, when you see it in those contexts, when Gorbachev comes along, he loosens the reins, and of course, every everything falls apart. Everyone, you know, nationalism and 
the U.S. is uh, all the pressure. It's just like Cuba now. There's a constant pressure. So the whole thing fell apart. And uh, and he let it go. You saw there was an attempted coup and it didn't work. And everyone already was mass overthrow and the thing collapsed. Now, the U.S. couldn't do that because you've got such a powerful, it's, you're like Syrian government. You know, Bashar Assad, why didn't it fall? Why, uh, why did uh, Mubarak fall? Because the army turned against him. Now, if your army turns against the president and uh, lets uh, a mass overthrow, that's the only way you're going to get rid of imperialism. And actually, the army was actually talking about uh, uh, a coup against uh, some of them anyway. Weren't they against Trump towards the end when he was totally deranged? Well, yeah, I think actually... From my reading of Bob Woodward's book, Fear, especially, it seems uh-huh. that the entire national security state, including the serious uh, Pentagon people and, and military people, McMaster in particular, these people um, were very frustrated with Trump because Trump was too much of a peacenik. Trump, what he would have liked to do. Yeah, pull out of Syria, pull out of yeah, Afghanistan, out of Iraq, yeah. pull out of everything, and they wouldn't let him leave. They wouldn't let him. Yeah. And, and in, they, in Woodward's book, Fear, he describes having all those people, the, these generals took Trump to this special uh, super secret security situation room in uh, under NSA headquarters, someplace like that. And they gave him a PowerPoint designed to brainwash him into going along with their program. And afterwards, Trump uh, rebelled against them and said, hey, you, I, I can't even find a few billion dollars to fix America's infrastructure. And you want me to keep throwing trillions of dollars into these idiotic wars? No way. And so that was when these guys started calling Trump a, a moron and they, all of these really uh, nasty insults. So, yeah, there was all that was coming from the military. And that's coming from the Pentagon or is that coming? That's not state or both. But, it, but, it was that, which, it, from Woodward's description, it was coming from the entire national security community, the Pentagon, the National Security Council, which is the place. You know, that's uh-huh, kind of the right. Place right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. They, they all united in despising Trump and in being terrified of uh, his kind of common sense, Mr. and Mrs. Yeah. Middle America idea of just ending the empire, pulling out of everywhere. Yeah, if he'd only be, that's why I was so hopeful of, for him at the beginning. And, and then he was, everything was against him. It's like, and they t- it took everything to defeat him. Isn't that incredible? In spite of everyone turning against him. He, he, defeated, uh, himself. he defeated himself by, by letting yeah. Kushner be the president. <laughs> uh, yes, that's true. If he'd become a real populist, all he did is play up to the Jews. And, you know, that's not going to get him elected by, uh, uh, yeah. What a shame. Right. Well, you know, getting, getting back to getting back to your discussion of the U.S. Uh, well, OK, the U.S. collapsing. Uh, I, I don't know if, how far I just want to make uh, make the statement. You don't have to argue with we don't have to argue this now, but I I'm not convinced that the USSR was totally non-exploitive. I, I understand what you said. And I, I know about the net flows of resources inside and outside of the USSR. But as I see it, Eric, exploitation is largely about uh, elites, uh, relative elites in cities, uh, stealing surplus value from countrysides. And I think that uh, that did yeah, happen. Yeah. So uh, oh, absolutely. And they exploited yeah. the hell out of their own Muslim regions. I know. Uh, and, and if you actually read about what the soldiers uh, in World War II experienced, these Muslim soldiers from the Muslim mm. parts the former Soviet Union, they, they'd been basically genocided by the, by the communists already, and they were just totally dehumanized and they were turned into cannon fodder. 
And the kind of suffering and the kind of exploitation, oppression, authoritarianism in the old Soviet Union was so off the charts that I actually sympathize with the people who think that Hitler's Germany was the lesser of two evils. Well, I, I, I don't know who you're reading, but I, I know I've met lots of uh, veterans and uh, I know a friend, my good friend in Tashkent, his grandfather was repressed. And, but uh, his, uh, I, I, I know the whole background and uh, uh, there was no, it wasn't nearly as bad. Although, you know, I'm just reading the, the leadership, uh, that's right, even 37, 38, all the, uh, all the Uzbek and Tajik, yeah, it was just not, uh, it really was horrible. Yeah, I agree. I still, yeah, I don't even want to discuss whether one's better or worse. They were, they were both monsters. So, hey, but, we actually, uh, we agree with, with the uh, official doctrine of liberalism, the official the- uh, belief system of the uh, Western oligarchs. We both agree yeah. that communism and fascism were bad. So we're actually pretty middle of the road and pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty, pretty normal. They, they should uh, take us more seriously. <laughs> well, I would say Stalinism was bad. I, Khrushchev I, is my hero for uh, beginning the whole process, which actually ended up uh, uh, the whole thing unraveling in the end. But from uh, 53 on, it was an okay, okay place to live. Uh, I mean, it was still, uh, it was still authoritarian and you could still go to prison for the wrong reason, but not, not to the point of being killed and repressed the way it was under Stalin. So, and I, I know too many people that had wonderful lives. I, you know, I wouldn't uh, deny them their happy memories or their uh, beliefs that, uh, that they lived and they lived happily. So I, you know, it's, it's more complicated. It's not black and white. And I still, uh, um, I still stand by socialism. I mean, that's the only thing we, it's the only direction we go in. We've got to have more cooperation. You know, too much competition in the private property uh, ends up destroying the world. So we have to have no or very little private property, and we have to have a lot more cooperation. No uh, cold wars, no bombs, peace. That's what we want, and that's socialism. And that was the Soviet Union's foreign policy. That's why I was attracted to it, even in, in spite of Czechoslovakia. And I, I, you know, I'm not an idiot. I, I read and I know what uh, is written, but I also know how the media distorts things. Uh, weren't you? Didn't we even start out tonight talking about how the media distorts the Taliban and what they're doing, and, and the oh, reality yeah. is much different. Well, you yeah, see, it's yeah. the same. That was always the same with the Soviet Union, and that's why I'm always defending it because no one does it's just like why i defend iran because i know iran there's a lot of things i don't like about iran but it's the right side of history and it's i i'm going to defend it and uh the people they think i'm an idiot or i'm a some kind of you know psychophant and i that's the way they people have always despised me that way because i i, I always supported the soviet union after i figured it all out in cambridge that was my uh, my Philby moment or McLean or I guess one more Burgess probably, but uh, those are my heroes. Yeah, I, so, I, I reacted against the Cold War propaganda myself. <laughs> Recognized that that I mean that Cold War propaganda was in many ways just as bad as the kind of propaganda we're seeing today against Afghanistan, Iran, and, and it's identical. I, I my life is just repeating itself. Forty years ago, the invasion of Afghanistan. I, I knew right then, oh, this is the rest of my life. 
and it has been. So it's nice, uh, it's wonderful to have a uh, one, uh, at least a few moments of, of elation, of exhilaration, of, of, of a sense of victory, even though we're, of course, we're worried and there's more terrorist attacks. The U.S. has to work. Is I almost think that Biden's capable of of uh, working. It's the grandfatherly. He's not an evil man. I don't think he does horrible things, and he's got a bee in his bonnet on Venezuela and Cuba. But I don't know. Maybe he can be uh, uh, reach out somehow to and work. With, they've got to work with the Taliban. Don't you agree? Well, I mean, yeah, uh, there's a whole geopolitical game being played, though. And then you know, the question is, who, you know, who, whose interests are being served by the kind of foreign policy that the professionals are making and, you know, giving they're going to give Biden a limited array of choices. Yeah, I agree with you that Biden was pretty courageous in standing by his guns and yeah, just pulling out. Pulled out. Yeah, because that's probably not then, he, he was just like with Trump. I'll bet the majority of the foreign policy community was very much dead set against that. And so he must have. Oh, shown bet, some courage yeah. yeah. So how did he get away with it? They didn't under I guess there's a little bit shaking in their boots now. Things are so out of control if they try and shaft Biden after shafting Bush uh, or Trump. Uh, you know, what, what's going to happen next? This is how you this is how an empire collapses. It's, it's that uh, that's how the cultural revolution I've been reading about now, because I, there's a parallel here, too, that I mean, the Taliban, the whole idea is that your religion becomes your waking life is all about you pray and everything you see. I mean, they really want to they're they're fundamentalists <laughs> I mean, in a good way. I, I admire that uh, that zeal if, if you don't chop hands off. But uh, uh, that that's. That's what, that's what they're after. And that's what, of course, Mao was trying to do. He wanted continual revolution, that you've always got to get rid of the uh, capitalist rotors, that they always pop up and that you have to kill them. That was Mao. And, and he got that going in the late 60s. And the whole society went into civil war just overnight. It was, it's fascinating to read how, how that collapse of power in the late 60s. Oh, it's terrifying. And uh, it was just, how did it actually stop? Oh, it didn't stop, but it petered out. It just, uh, it got to the point where the, the society, so many people had been purged that it, it just slowed down. And, and all the students who were out in the countryside, so uh, they weren't around to riot anymore. So that, that's the way he did it. And uh, then he died and Duncan Ding took over and said, capitalism, come on, capitalist throaters, uh, make your money. So wow, I hope that doesn't happen. To, <laughs> I hope that doesn't happen in Afghanistan. I, you don't want that kind of heavy pressure. Like they, I, I read, of course, or no, I heard that, and this is just Western propaganda, probably, that uh, they were uh, demanding that men pray five times a day. Probably it was not demand, but uh, that's I, you know, I think that's not a bad thing. I don't know if you want to really, and you don't want to whip to. Uh, Bring, you don't want these committees of uh, to promote good and prevent bad. The, the uh, Saudi. There's supposed uh, to be no, no compulsion in religion, and so there's a, you can right. argue, I suppose, of whether prayer falls in that category. But I would think it does. Uh huh. That's good. That's great. Well, yeah, there there have been places today? and times where where Muslim authorities uh, tried to force people to pray uh, five times a day, but the, that they've been exceptions that prove the rule. Most of the time. 
Um, much of the population has not prayed five times a day, especially in the countryside. Mm-hmm. But yeah, who knows? And, what... and Go ahead. How could you enforce it if it's everyone scattered in little villages? They, uh, it, you were saying there was one time. What was that? Well, you know, I remember reading that. Well, I think it was it was under the uh, I think it was the uh, uh, Tun when they conquered Spain, uh, the Almoravids in English. Uh-huh. Those, uh-huh. They were they were a kind of a fundamentalist movement that came out of southern Morocco and uh, took over Spain. And I think for a while they were supposedly trying to enforce mandatory five times daily prayers. Now, in in a sense, a mandatory five times daily prayer is not really different in kind from, let's say, a mandatory recital of the Pledge of Allegiance every school day in America. You know, it's Mm -hmm. a kind of a ritual designed to build solidarity. But uh, because it's it's a ritual of submission to God and each individual who's praying is individually submitting to God, trying to make that mandatory is uh, ridiculous in a way because you're really just forcing people to go through the motions. And in a way you're sort of Mm -hmm. reinforcing the idea that it's the motions that are important rather than the intention or the Nia. So Mm -hmm. I I would argue against making uh, five times daily prayer mandatory, but I would very much argue in favor of people doing it. I think it's a really good thing to be doing. And I I certainly do it myself. To To make it accessible. Like in in Cairo, there was never any trouble there. There must be tens of thousands of uh, uh, Musali, uh, just, prayer room scattered around the whole city as opposed to Uzbekistan. You see, there's none of this. I, I think the, the, when I was there, there was really only one uh, mosque and it was in the old city and it was in a madrasa. And that, that's it was tragic. all outdoors. I mean, that, that was the, that was the heart of Islamic culture for quite a while. I know. And so they're so repressed. And uh, now you've got the, all the uh, IEU in, in, in yeah. Well, Islamic, uh, uh, Uzbek, uh, um, uh, force, whatever it is. There, I mean, Uzbekistan, they, there were, uh, terrorist explosions when I was there. I, I, my windows, uh, were, you know, none of them broke, but all the windows in the street broke from, uh, that was back in, um, 2000 and, uh, I don't know, 2000 and, no, it was back in 1998, 1999. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, uh, but Kazakhstan has uh, a beautiful big mosque right at the center of the new capital, whatever it's called, Istana, or, and, uh, it, it you know, it's okay to pray. And, uh, but, and, uh, I, I believe Tajikistan, uh, it's a little, it's not great. And, uh, uh yeah. Turkmenistan's not great at all either. That's the Turkmenbashi, whoever the new one, I can't remember his name, but, uh, these, Uzbekistan uh, is the worst, though, right? I mean, that's like Craig Murray, the former UK ambassador, talked about yeah, that yeah. they were like Muslims who were getting a little too devout would end up being tortured and uh, yeah. like burned alive in, in oil and things yeah. like that. I mean, that's that yeah. sounds like a really nasty government that is well, hardcore. Turkmenistan's probably just as bad or worse, but uh, it's much smaller population. I think there's only about four million or six million people in Turkmenistan, whereas Uzbekistan is. I think 30 million. So it, you're, it is the biggest. But yeah, what's going to happen? Uh, I, I don't know if uh, uh, Kazakhstan. I mean, at least Uzbekistan. They're they're not the, the new head after Karima. He's not quite as vile. But no, it's not. I don't know. I've heard both. 
I have a, a journalist friend that uh, Uzbek who's uh, stuck in uh, Georgia, Belisi. He's he's a stateless person because of of the, all the border nonsense that went on there, and I couldn't even help him. It's really very frustrating. The the situation there is very bad for Muslims in Uzbekistan. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we we need some uh, some decent Muslims to figure out how to unite Khorasan oh. under the black banners of real Islam, uh, not fake ISIS uh, beheading people Islam. And uh, there have been some interesting articles analyzing why the Taliban uh, were successful in using kind of a combination of religion and tribalism as an alternative mm-hmm. to state building. And so maybe the modern uh-huh. state isn't the be-all and end-all. Maybe you can actually uh-huh. have a, a stable order based on religion and tribe. Yeah, but the, the whole point of the U.S. occupation was to turn it into a secular state. So, and and uh, that that's been the whole push, and the women's rights, and everything has been. And the women have bought it, uh, you know, hook, line, line, and sinker. And now they're all that the the elite and. Uh, Kabul is all upset, and uh, oh, maybe they're all leaving. I guess they all. But yeah, I guess a lot of those will will just leave. But the the Taliban, they don't. It's so humiliating to see uh, the U.S. scraping up all these people. Some uh, the Taliban says, "No, we don't want uh, Uzbeks. Uh, Uzbeks. What am I saying? We don't want Afghans to leave." So I don't know what's happening there. If uh, um, yeah, it's it's, it's 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 a mess. It's chaos, and so fine, we only have about a minute or something left. So, Eric, do you think that there will be a kind of an American Taliban movement? One of one of our I forget which of our national security leaders said that the new Trump loving right wing anti vax uh, white nationalist types are the American Taliban, and and they're more rural, not just like the Afghan Taliban, and their enemies, the left liberal woke brigades of the cities, they're urbanites. So just like just like in Afghanistan, do you think the American Taliban are going to roll into the American blue cities from the red states with their pickup trucks and Kalashnikovs? <laughs> well, that, that's an interesting turn. Uh, I, I haven't thought of it that way, but but they're not really, uh, Islam is a little bit or a lot uh, more of a, uh, a, a genuine uniting force than uh, the the bunch of uh, <laughs> <Then> white nationalism. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, they're, I, I they're not much. That. Yeah, so I think uh, until we have a, a stronger uh, a force of Islam in America, that's what we have to keep uh, pushing for. That uh, okay, Islam yeah. is the answer. I love the old brotherhood. Uh, Islam is the answer. Uh, We're working on an American, American version of Islam. Uh, We're not going to try to import the Pashtun version. They can, they can use that over (laughs) in Afghanistan. Thank you so much, Eric Wahlberg. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. It's Eric Wahlberg of ericwahlberg.com. You can find the links at truthjihad.com. Click on the radio schedule link and you can also subscribe to me at Substack. You can finally help out Revolution.Radio, the greatest free speech listener sponsor network. Go to Revolution.Radio and figure out how. Kevin Barrett here back in the next hour with Thomas Wilcutts. Stick around.